You're listening to You're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Lost in the silence, that's where I will stay. I came here to meet you, but you don't feel the same. I failed you before, I know you won't understand. No. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 166 of the Collabcast. It is Friday, May the 25th, 2018. Uh, my name is Marvin Yeo. I'm flying solo this week, but don't worry, I'm here with friends, so you won't be bored. Um, I am here with, I guess, the cast, director, and writer behind the newest East-West player play. <laughs> <laughs> As we babble on, I'm here with... Uh, Bobby Foley, who is part of the cast, Hello. Allison De La Cruz, the director, Hello. and returning to the Clubcast, Mr. Nathan Ramos, Hi. the writer. It's great to be back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you turned on your radio voice right away. <laughs> your public radio persona is back. Welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to be talking to you guys about the play and about, you know, stage plays in general. Um, but before we get there, we, I like to ask my guests every time they come on, what are they into? So... You guys watching anything, reading anything, listening to anything that you guys want to share about? Uh, yeah, uh, I guess I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, BTS's album just uh, dropped uh, last Friday. They are everywhere right now. They're mm. everywhere. And um, so I've been really kind of, I always want to give an album at least 48 hours before I make a judgment, you know, because <laughs> I think that every, it, there's like that, you know, the fan expectation and then there's what kind of, you know, like what their their intention was and then there's what, you know, their producers want, you know, and so there's, but there's, they have one track called Paradise and there's a line that says, um, Kumi, um, Opsodo Kenchana, which means, um, like, it's okay if you don't have a dream. And it's just like it's okay to just like be in the moment and like not be running towards your goals all the time and like that, like and it was I was like wow this really resonates with me <laughs> so that's what I'm listening to right now yeah that's awesome it's uh so you you actually do understand Korean right um I know like li- they're, they're like my so uh, I have a friend that's been staying with me and she's Korean and she um watches a lot of like Korean talk shows and everything okay. like that and so but there was this one moment where like one of the people on the talk show was like oh like don't hit the like be careful with the ceiling and like so like i randomly knew what that meant and i was just like i was like oh like that guy just said be careful with the ceiling but then i don't really know anything else so i get like snippets or like i'll remember things and so yeah i can read and write but i my conversational skills are not great Mm. it's i don't understand it at all so (laughs) but the beats are catchy and the dance moves are on point Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What are you into right now? I am into, I'm still on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm waiting for that series <laughs> to work itself out. Um, Taika Waititi is my spirit animal. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok is what I fall asleep to sometimes. And then I've been listening a lot to Ruby Ibarra's uh, Us. Like, ugh. I've seen her perform live a couple of times, and she is amazing. 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 Yes, I can't wait to meet her. And one of my homegirls, Faith, is on that track, and I know Rocky, and so it's just really, I'm super excited to meet Ruby and Classy, and I just love that. Awesome. Mm. Yes. (laughs) And Bobby, what are you into right now? 
Uh, I've actually been rewatching the Harold and Kumar movies, and I don't know if that counts as. It counts. But for some, it just uh, the second movie came up on Netflix recently, and I just decided to like go in a deep dive and rewatching the movies. And you know, so, yeah, I've never seen the sequels. How are they? <laughs> uh, they're more ridiculous, I guess, if that's possible. <laughs> so how how does the series hold up in in today's world of like, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, be more aware of the horribleness of what's happening. I mean, obviously, some of the comedy is dated at this point, uh, but a lot of it isn't, mm. which is fantastic to see. It's still like an enjoyable movie, even mm. if it is clearly a dated movie at this point. My favorite thing about Harold and Kumar was, well, actually, one of the things I wish they addressed is, you know, um, when you have that craving for White Castle or mm-hmm. Taco Bell or Arby's, and you mm-hmm. go there, it's never as good as what you have in your it's, mind. It's awful. You know? Yeah. You get there, I'm like, I can't believe I waited. Or I beg to differ. No, <laughs> no, no. Was, by, yes. by like the 10th slider, you're like, this is not as good as I thought. <laughs> but that was, that's like the first, like the first bite's fine. Yeah. But then you realize, like, why did I order 20? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I will say In-N-Out holds up for me though. That's true. It does. Mm. It you does. Know, mm. Animal style. Mm. Although people from the East Coast tend to like, like to dunk on uh, mm-hmm. In and out for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, my theory is um, not everyone uh, appreciates a fresh burger. Mm-hmm. Some people just want something meaty and greasy. Mm-hmm. And if you're into that, in and out, probably not for you. Mm. They're just jealous of what they can't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm not I... surprised about Nathan's reaction because um, he is a fan of the Skyline Chili mm-hmm. from Ohio, mm-hmm. which I hear you either love yep. or you hate. Yep. It's a uh, chocolate inspired chili. <laughs> originating in Cincinnati. Okay, Cincinnati and you put it on top of uh, no- like spaghetti noodles with onions and then you put it no beans because if you put beans in chili that's not chili and then you put like <laughs> giant like just like handfuls of cheddar cheese on top and then you put hot sauce on top all of our listeners from Texas just yeah. turned off the radios this <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. well before we move on I did want to um, bring up a piece of I guess breaking news from the Asian American entertainment community mm-hmm. uh, we lost uh, one of our OGs mm-hmm. um, um, this past week Elizabeth Sung passed away earlier this week um, and mm-hmm. even if you don't know her name you've seen her in like mm-hmm. everything and you know she's always been such a big support of the community um, she's in like every single indie movie and uh she will be missed so Mm -hmm. uh in case you guys haven't heard of her um go look her up look up her imdb and just check out the movies that she's been in Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. what an amazing light and mentor to so many people and um when i yeah i just recently saw the post and i was really shocked and i just was really just honored and touched to know her and then just to see the way in which she really mentored a lot of people and was family to a lot of people in an industry where people don't have family so Mm -hmm. Love to her. Yeah. And on that note, um, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about the new play as we babble on. Stick around. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Collabcast. The Collabcast is a production of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in arts and entertainment, discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the Asian American community. Learn more about Collaboration by going to our website at www.collaboration.org. The Collabcast is also a member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices from the community. If you're enjoying the Collabcast, you might also like the Korean Drama Podcast. 
The Korean Drama Podcast is a rewatch podcast where hosts Will Choi, Phil Yu, and Joanna Lee rewatch a whole season of a Korean drama and comment about it with hilarious insights into Korean and Asian American culture. The entire first season of the Korean Drama Podcast featuring the seminal Korean drama Boys Over Flowers is available now, is available now in its entirety. You can check out the Korean Drama Podcast and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com. And welcome back to the Collabcast. I'm here with Nathan Ramos, Alison De La Cruz, and Bobby Foley, who are all part of the world premiere of Nathan's play, As We Babble On, that's going to be at the East-West Players. Uh, it opens June 6th and runs till June 24th, but previews start May 31st. Mm-hmm. And it's at the East-West Players, which, if you guys don't know, is the um, Otis People of Color Repertory Theater in the nation, mm-hmm. right? Which is yeah. amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank Last you. time you were on the show, you were talking about getting this play made this year, mm-hmm. and now it's finally here. How does it feel? Yeah, it feels it feels surreal, you know. And, and I I think that if 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 you've never been a part of the process of putting on a play, it's kind of this. It's I mean, it's kind of like giving birth, which which I hear is because it's you know because <laughs> sometimes putting on a play can be this painful, wonderful out of body experience, and then you just kind of forget how much. Like how many sleepless nights, how much work you put into it, and then you go and do it again. And I'm, I'm and just seeing the actors and the directors and the whole creative team just working on it so hard, and it just makes my heart explode <laughs> out of my chest. And seeing it, it's incredible. So, why don't you tell our listeners what the play is about? Yeah, so the play, um, it's not really a coming of age story. It's not really a coming out story. Um, I kind of like to think of it as a kind of a Saturn Returns coming into adulthood story because um, I think that we have a lot of story. There, there's not a lot of stories between the age of kind of 25 and 35 where it's just like what am I is, isn't adulthood supposed to start already isn't, yeah. aren't we supposed to be there like aren't I supposed to be feeling like a real person and it's it's that kind of societal expectation and it's kind of that the reality that we as as millennials really kind of feel that we're missing the boat in you know like what life is supposed to be and it's kind of like grappling with the actuality of it in a funny way (laughs) is it uh it's semi-autobiographical too right it is it is um (laughs) that's crazy is it um no it's a it's um i i was like so poor when i first started writing i didn't have a computer i bought like an ipad mini so i wrote this play on an ipad mini and just to kind of I was I was fed up with this kind of idea of, you know, like fitting into the box that I was supposed to be fitting into. And so that's kind of like the impetus for this um, script. And then it kind of, yeah, blossomed from there. And I and um, the great thing was, was a, a mentor early on was like kind of right. It was like, right. Don't write your exact experience. Sometimes like it's better to write adjacent to your experience because then you let the characters live and they don't have to be exactly who you are mm. because sometimes if you're writing by yourself you don't take chances and um, I think that that was like a really great thing that helped me when writing this was to be like let your characters take chances and, awesome yeah. we'll talk to your crew for a second uh, Allison how did you get brought onto the project uh, East West Players reached out to me and uh, I've been a long time member of the East West Players family it was in the Writers Institute uh taught for them, um, produced fundraising events for them, worked for them, and had directed uh, multidisciplinary festivals several years ago and um, had been had kept directing um, in other places. And Sneha was like, I want you to consider directing Nathan's play. And I was like, no, I can't. Because of, uh, just because of the schedule that I've been under this year. 
And he's like, no, I, you need to read it. I was like, no, I can't, dude. Like, think about my schedule. And we had to talk about it. He's like, seriously. He's like, read it. I was like, oh, fine. But no, I can't. He goes, read it. So I read it July 4th weekend. And the first 20 pages in, I was laying on the couch. I was laughing. And I was like, damn it. I have to direct this play. <laughs> so funny. And I could see, um, and actually one of the scenes that really resonated was when the two ex-boyfriends um, meet up again and have their like meet cute moment in the bar. And I was just like, oh, this is so hot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> direct this play. <laughs> and I just, I appreciate the mixedness of it. I appreciate the queerness of it. I appreciate the millennial voice as a non-millennial <laughs> identified person, as a Gen X person. Um, but then also just really like what are the fantastical opportunities to allow these characters to fly yeah. um, and uh, I got to direct a stage reading um, Nathan and I met we talked and um, so I've been on the project since August of 2017 wow that's amazing um, so Alice and I know each other from yeah. community organizing um, we've been working together um, me as part of collaboration and her as part of the JCCC and, and the community in general. And um, so I know you as, as a producer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so how did you get into directing? Totally. I started actually as a solo artist, as a poet. Um, mm. And then, um, yeah, like, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, I ran into Ken Narasaki, who used to be the lit manager at East West Players. I was doing a poetry reading and he came up to me and he was like, you should take this playwriting class. And I was like, no, I'm a poet. He's like, <laughs> you know, poets and playwrights have a lot in common. They care about where the words go. Mm. And it just like blew my mind because I always knew I wanted to do a solo show, but I didn't ever think of myself as a playwright. And so once I started to walk down that path, then I realized I was like, you know, if I want to produce what I want to produce as a multiracial, queer, bigger bodied woman of color, then I need to learn how to do this. I need to. And I had been doing other projects. And so it took me a really long time to come out as a director because I was like, no, I'm a producer. No, I'm a performer. No, I'm a really good dramaturg. I can facilitate. You know? And my friends were like, can you just own, a, own this for a minute? So, um, so this project is actually very full circle for me. My first solo show was produced by JACCC at East West Players at mm -hmm. the David Henry Wong Theater. And um, I've directed multidisciplinary stuff at East West, but I've never directed a main stage season show. And it's now the season closer and... Um, yeah, I've had I've spent the last several years mostly producing other people's artistic dreams. And so there have just been a lot of moments and Bobby can probably testify moments in rehearsal. Well, I'm like, this play is this. <laughs> um, and I've just had this moment of like, oh, wow, I get to make this decision. And I'm very collaborative. I hope I still feel collaborative um, to people. Mm -hmm. I love to add, I love to allow people in the room to be as smart and talented and amazing and crazy as they are. And then it's like, okay, so my job is to look at the whole thing and be like, all right, that's cool. What if we did this? And um, so it's been, yeah, I've directed a lot of ensemble theater. Mm -hmm. um, I got to direct. I, I was looking at stuff as I was prepping my bio and updating my website. And I was like, oh, yeah, most of the work I make is about queer API people, um, mixed race people trying to have authentic voice. And, n yeah, not just coming out, but coming into themselves. And um, and I'm such a... <laughs> low grade like comic book nerd adjacent because of all the things I love on TV and in film and and so it just as things have developed in this project I'm like yeah this is the play and we had such a great time um, in auditions in terms of like being able to see the wide range of talent in LA and like who could possibly be in this play and <laughs> 
casting was really, really difficult at the end because I felt like we wanted to cast three different groups mm. of people. Yeah. <laughs> at one point, it's like, we could have this play or we could have this play or we could have this play. And so I feel lucky in that way in that. And yeah, I've been moonlighting <laughs> at night for this last month of rehearsal on my work day during the day at JACCC. And um, and so it's just been kind of this really beautiful, surreal moment for me to kind of also come into my own as a director. And I tell stage management all the time, like I'm used to having to direct and stage manage a show. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool to like just be the director and having just produced a musical with East West Players. Oh. Um, I'm super excited to only worry <laughs> about the artistic part and yeah. not like... I'm worrying about a lot of other things, but they're not my job. Yeah. So that's nice. That's great. <laughs> so, Bobby. Yes. Tell us the truth. How is Allison as a director? <laughs> she's, she's wonderful. She's actually the best. Pretend she's not sitting next to you right now. <laughs> okay. uh, Alice, Allison's incredible. So, yeah. Awesome. So, Bobby, um, I guess what do you play in the, in the play? So, I play... Orson Archer, is that how we should yeah. name my character? Great, yeah, I play Orson Archer. He's a wealthy, wealthy guy, uh, and he's going through some things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to find out what those things are, exactly. you should come to these yeah. players. May 31st, <laughs> you start, June 6th, opening night, till June 24th. That's <laughs> he's, figuring, he's figuring things out. That's great. So um, I guess, what drew you to the play when you read the script or when you auditioned? Like, what, you know, is it just just something that or were you just auditioning because it was a part that you could play or was it something that really drew you in so i guess it was a multi-step process where i learned more and more about it because (laughs) uh when i first came in for the initial audition which was just in front of nathan and allison and was annie in that room Uh yeah and annie was in that room and it was just like doing you know a monologue Mm -hmm. uh and at that point i knew very little about it and then in the callback i had the opportunity to you know actually read nathan's language and so during the initial audition, it was just like, here is, you know, a part that I could possibly play. And then when I saw the script, it was more like, wow, I actually really love this language and I really like this character and I can play this character and I would love to do this. And they were <laughs> kind enough to let me on the project. So a part of the character really interested you? Um, I guess there, there are a lot of things that I relate to with this character i'm not a rich man uh so that part i do not relate to uh but it's fun to play yeah it's fun to play it's fun to believe i have a lot of money um but they're just a lot of the sort of personality things and the things that he says in the play are things that i can imagine myself saying in certain circumstances if that makes sense yeah and so and also just in general as an as an Asian male playing like a love interest, that's <laughs> sadly not an opportunity that we get a lot of the time. Right. Um, and so it's great to be able to do that and to yeah. be that. It's great that we have writers writing those parts for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, can I, I mean, like, I want to just, just like praise Bobby for a second because um, when Alice and I were casting the show, the, uh, the, the role of Orson was originally a, a white, a white male. Really? And, Bobby came in and was so amazing during his like just monologue that I was like like after the first day of casting I was just like I think I just need to like rewrite the play (laughs) because there are so and to name to the other equity folks who auditioned as well and non-equity folks (laughs) that Bobby yes you were among the amazing (laughs) and I, I mean I think there were several moments where we were we realized there were a lot of actors like Bobby who were mixed Hoppa men who 
could play Orson. And because of uh, phenotype and the way that um, Bobby's DNA mixes together, um, I think you actually read for Orson. You read for two roles, I think, in I your think first. I, in, the, in the callback, I just read for Orson. I think okay. in the original audition, I circled Benji just yeah. because I, and yeah. maybe Vish just because I had no idea what the play was about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so we saw a bunch of people and then, yeah, I would say there was definitely a pool of people. Mm -hmm. And then as we got into the final casting round, yeah, so Nathan had to go Mm -hmm. home, um, in between the original auditions and callbacks and, and literally the homework was like, okay, well, if you really want to cast a multiracial Orson, which is a part of the complicated conversation, what does it mean? You know, in an, in an age where we're about to see publicly crazy rich Asians drop, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And somebody who didn't get invited to the preview in L.A. Um, and what I can only imagine from the trailer that I've watched like 20 times because I haven't read the book yet. But um, I think it, it really and I also think, honestly, in an age of like Mark Zuckerberg and who his you know family is, I think there's there was a really great opportunity. So I don't want to negate that Bobby wasn't amazing and we didn't yeah. want to write for yeah. you. But I think once we got fully cast is also mm-hmm. where. It seems like Nathan, yeah. you also like honed in on who are the actors we have in the show now, and how mm-hmm. can we amplify yeah. certain yeah. elements of them. That's interesting, yeah, because sometimes you know who you are can inform who the characters can be, and mm-hmm. that that's that's uh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was there was a specific moment for me personally where I was like, Bobby for me was the only one that could play this role because, mm. um, and it was during your, your callback, it was like, I think you and Jamie were reading together. Yes. And, um, and I've worked in fine dining for, you know, like for <laughs> like five, 10 years in like in New York, other places and everything. And I, you know, so, like, so you met a lot of rich people. Yeah, I've met a lot of, and like <laughs> they have certain mannerisms and, and Bobby was the only person that came in and just fully to me, honestly acted like brought a performance that was like oh I was like that's immediately that was a rich person and it was because like he like because like every as so many actors came in and they would be like you know like they'd do like the clap or like the, they'd look around like you know really distinguished for a server and but Bobby just came in and he just sat on his phone and just like <laughs> lazily put his hand up <laughs> to like call server and I was like that's it like that's you're having like your PTSD flashbacks yeah, and I was because I, I the day that I left work to write this play um, it was the day this article came out that um, it was like one percent of um, like it was like the one percent now own like seventy percent of the wealth in the world, and mm-hmm. I was working at ABC Kitchen at the time, which is this super bougie New York restaurant. It's it's an insane. It's like for like literally a handful of kale, it's like you know seventeen dollars. Like and it's and um, I was serving this this table this three top as you say in the industry, <laughs> and they literally bought a two bottles of red wine that were like $600 each and then they opened both of them they they basically poured out one of them for fun like they were, they didn't touch it and then they they cheers to the 1% and I literally, I like, I just like went and I took off my apron and I just went and I just, and I left, just literally left. I just literally walked. I was like, I can't do this anymore. They, they <laughs> like, won for the homie, like yeah, a whole bottle they of They won wine. for the homie, a $600 bottle of like Castellet Cabernet. And I was like, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so glad that I remind you of that situation. <laughs> and I was like, that was Bobby. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, I want to take a second to also um, highlight the rest of your cast, mm-hmm. especially two people Will Choi who we've had on the show for a lot and he's a friend and is the um, producer behind H&A the, mm-hmm. the hit 
yeah. AUCB Asian American focused uh, comedy show, mm-hmm. and also uh, Giovanni Lignao, who yeah. is like I've seen her perform a lot at UCB. She's yeah. amazing. I'm so glad to see that she's on your cast as well. Yeah. And I'm yeah. I'm excited to watch the play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, your PR person told me that I'm invited. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's an amazing cast. And I will say that as we saw folks, I mean, in the callbacks, we had certain moments like the Orson calls. There was like the white Orsons and mm-hmm. then the Hoppe Orsons. <laughs> and then in the callbacks for Sheila, there were mixed race Sheilas and um, black women Sheilas mm-hmm. um, and Giovanni. He's uh, black and Filipina, and um, and we saw a variety of Benjis, and then um, Sachin Bhatt plays um, Vish in the show, and we saw a bunch of different uh, potential Vishes, and then Jamie Schwartz plays uh, Laura. So Benji and Laura, Will and Jamie, will play siblings, and Orson's character is trying to date, is that a good word for it? Sure. Date <laughs> Laura. Um, and then um, Vish and Benji try to date and then uh, Sheila who Giovanni plays she's got her own thing going on so so the other reason I love is like there are multiple desire spectrums in this show Uh and so I think it is a queer AF show but it is also I think a very hetero AF show (laughs) Um, and also just like I think in this digital age I think part of what Sheila explores with us is like what does it mean to have a connection across internet yeah what does it mean to connect to like both what is the way that technology brings us together and what is it when does it bring us apart yeah and that brings me to um, what I want to talk about next with you guys is when people think of stage theater they Mm -hmm. think of like the classics right like the death of a salesman or like the Shakespeare's and they're are a lot of more contemporary plays, but whenever I go to a play at like the Amundsen or East West Players, it seems like the audiences tends to be kind of older too. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Um, like how how do you get these millennials? How do you get these millenn- <laughs> <I'm a> millennials? <laughs> <laughs> to like you know like what's the disconnect? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me. When I think of theater, I think of community. Mm-hmm. And I think that the difficult thing for me, the disconnect with theater when I was in New York or, or really anywhere in Cleveland where I grew up, um, theater kind of was subverted into this kind of idea of like, how do we make money? And so it, become, it became this kind of like, oh, like, let's, you know, let's like take different IPs intellectual properties you know like Spider-Man or like Frozen and make mm-hmm. it into a theatrical production and I think what we're what we, we're missing as a community is like theater is like the closest direct way where we can see ourselves represented on stage like you know a theater yes it only can house a certain number of people yes like it, people it's 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 definitely directly correlating to how far you are away you are from a theater you know like and I think for me theater really should should feed the community that surrounds it. And I think that's why I really wrote this play because I, I I wasn't seeing myself represented either in my community or on stage or, you know, like on screen. And so mm-hmm. I think for me, that's what theater is for. Mm-hmm. And I think activating that lens to, for millennials to be like, no, you get to exist is 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 kind of right. what I would love for this play to kind of help facilitate. Because when you and Alison were talking about um, how it's it's a play about that that spectrum of time that usually isn't portrayed in, especially because a lot of Asian American media is all about coming of age, mm-hmm. with the, like becoming an adult, coming to your identity, but not a lot about like that 
crucial, like for a lot of us, that quarter-like crisis period of time where we don't know what's going on. Um, and also the fact that Asian people fall in love too. Mm-hmm. And, and the way we fall in love are, is different now. Mm-hmm. And those are stories that I wish like someone can make a sitcom out of or someone could, but mm-hmm. being able to see that on stage for your play makes me excited. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the past few years, I've become more of a theater goer as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I try to convince other people, mm-hmm. it's still like, mm-hmm. when is it? It's, yeah. it's, it's not something you can just turn on a TV and sit down in your house yeah. and watch, right? And that for me is um, also, I mean, as somebody who does produce live performances and concerts and events and is trying to connect to a broad range of audiences. And even when I worked at East West Players, I was the audience services manager for a long <laughs> period of time. And um, yeah, there, there, there are people who grew up going to theater. They often become subscribers and... I think part of it is like, how do we make a case to new audiences, millennial, even exennials, even gen, not even, I, I don't even know that all the Gen Xers and Gen Y folks are coming. Um, and so I think part of it is kind of what Nathan said. It's like, do we see ourselves reflected? Why do I want to buy this? Why am I going to spend this much money on a ticket if I'm not going to see myself? Mm-hmm. And so I think part of it is how do we make it accessible? How do we show a vibrant life on stage? And then I think what's super, what I'm feeling dorky and excited about right now and watching Bobby and the rest of the cast kind of actualize this play and watching the way the designers are approaching this work and the conversations that I've had with Nathan is, yeah, how do we create an environment where people can suspend disbelief and go on this journey with us and have these crazy conversations? And I really want people to like be turned on. I want them to be tr- laugh. I want them to be troubled. I want them to want to have a lot of conversation. I want them to tweet about it, but wait till after the show's finished. Yeah. Um, and And so I think that there are these moments where if you can if you can see yourself on stage and you have that magical click, once you have that click, I think then you want to see it more and more and you will look for the places and the people who are doing that work. And I think with Snehal as the new artistic director at East West Players, he's brought a lot of energy and he's brought a different, he's brought a very different point of view in terms of what he wants East West Players to say. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are in a time right now where we all have to think about what are we doing? Why are we doing this? What you know, um, yeah, even in thinking about Elizabeth Sung, it's like we only have so much time. And so what is our job, you know? And yeah. and so for me, it's also, yeah, I'm trying to get people to come see the show who I know. Like it's not a two and a half hour musical. <laughs> it's a two hour comedy. <laughs> but it is also I think we're we're continuing every day in rehearsal and now we're in tech. Like we're trying to really earn that time. We're trying to value that time. And whenever I welcome audiences at the Aratani where I where I work, I always want to say thank you for putting down your screens. Thank you for coming into space with other people. Thank you for being connected to humans because that's what keeps us human. And yeah, when you come to live theater, people are going to laugh. People are going to sneeze. People are going to snore. <laughs> people are going to c- talk, you know. Yeah. And that's also part of, you know, live theater is impermanent. And what the cast does one night, we hope they will do it again. <laughs> But there is also these moments where like sometimes the water falls or sometimes the tray (laughs) tips over or sometimes we miss the light, you know. But when all those things align and everybody in that house laughs together or cries together or breathes together, that's magical stuff that you don't experience when you're home in your own space watching it on a screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Bobby, you... In addition to doing plays, you also you're also on TV sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the what's the difference? Uh, or do you like one over the other? Or I mean, they both have their 
positives and minuses. I mean, TV obviously pays a lot more, uh, <laughs> and so that can be positive in that it makes you know your daily life easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, storytelling wise, I feel like the main difference that people go to a, a time and time again is that theater is sort of an auditory medium, whereas you know film and TV is more of a visual medium, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the storytelling and theater that we're doing with this play, you know, a lot of it's through Nathan's writing and through, you know, how we approach those lines. Whereas in TV and film, a lot of it is nonverbal communication mm-hmm. through behavior and whatnot. All right. It's, yeah, I can see that. Cause mm-hmm. when you go to a, a theater, like the audience has to be engaged, right? Mm-hmm. They have to, they have to believe that like, even though it's the same background, something is happening, right? Like when you watch Hamilton, you want to, you want to believe that's the Battle of Georgetown, mm-hmm. and there's like all this stuff happening, even though they're just dancing on a rotating stage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've tried to. I mean, I've talked to the designers a lot about. Nathan hasn't even been in the last couple of days of tech, as like things are appearing How and like lights you. and pre- no, he's doing what he's got to do. <laughs> it's cool. We're actually, I'm so excited to surprise you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the visual layers on top of all the work. And mm-hmm. one of the notes I sent to the actors last night was, doesn't matter what projections are happening. You still, we still have to believe you are these characters. We still have to believe that Orson is having an arc and having his own journey. And that before this play started, he was doing something. And when this play ends, he's got to, you know, he's got to move out into the world and do what he's about to do. So it is, I will say I have thought very hard about how to engage the visual mm-hmm. arrays um, and the visual mediums and our projection designer uh, Shiva Kalili is amazing. Our set designer Teshi Nakagawa has done an amazing job, and um, and Glenn Michael Baker, who's our prop master, uh, prop designer, and then Jason Bieber on the lights. Jason Bieber, not Justin Bieber. <laughs> um, so, like to have that world. And what I told somebody the other day was like. Some directors like minimalism, Mm -hmm. and this play is a lot. (laughs) When you enter the theater, it will be a lot because these characters are living in a time where it is a lot, and we are often asked as um, diverse people, people of multiplicity, um, whether we be multi-generational Asian American, multi-racial hapas and and mixed-race people, uh, multi-gendered or uh, queer people, we're often asked to pick a box. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this play is like, no, it's just all a lot, all at the same time, and we all have the capacity to deal with it. So let us go on this ride together and see this world that is a lot, and yet at certain moments, everything goes away, and it's about a first edition Steinbeck (laughs) or it's about um, an app or it's about an ex-lover or it's about a friendship. It's about a siblinghood. And um, so that's also what I'm hoping we can do um, while we highlight all of the, our whole cast is really gorgeous and talented (laughs) and amazing. And so there's a lot of reasons for people who never come to theater to come see it. Um, Especially if people are, millennials and do relate to yeah cell phone use like (laughs) i think this is a play that honors where we are in the moment of technology you know great um so before we close and thank you so much for taking time i know you guys are busy with rehearsals and jobs and tech um what i want to ask you all as people who bring creative arts into the world is what's a what's something that you'd like to see either you do yourself or you someone else do like what type of story are you interested in having out in the world mm. i'm having the questions i love it <laughs> um I, I i i've been hearing with crazy rich asians that a lot of people are like oh like this is our black panther this is our black panther <laughs> and um 
I, I, I really respect and love the excitement that's building about it, but I, I really honestly can't wait until we have, like, what what is our Asian-American Black Panther moment? You know, like, mm-hmm. what does that really look like? I think Crazy Rich Asians, um, I had, the, I had like, I had the... Um, the pleasure and honor to uh, to work on it, and so I mean, I, I, I'm super excited about it. I I love it. I think it's going to be amazing, but I'm not sure. You know, like I, I think that those that it's kind of like looking at apples and oranges. I think, yeah. Me. And and I'm a, the play is a lot has a lot to do with being a superhero and seeing yourself as a superhero. And I think for me, the story I want to see is to be a superhero you know i think you know to really get to be, get to save the world and get to do those things and there's mm. there's such a wealth of characters in the marvel and dc and image universes that where and because that's where i come from where i was i was allowed to be special and allowed to be a hero seeing myself in that way and so i really would love for the next step to really get to be able to see that yeah. on screen. I think that's a story that I'd love to see. It's like phase six in the Marvel Universe or something. <laughs> Allison? I was going to say, Bobby, do you want to go next? Because I talked a lot. <laughs> you want t- more time to think of your answer? Is that what you're saying? And that too. Uh, off the top of my head, just because I can't think of a story like this, like uh, an Asian surfer story would be pretty fun. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Was Point Break technically a little bit Right. True. I guess. Yeah. Um, but I guess Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, kind of, but Sandy S- misses near no one. Surf ninjas. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I love how we're trying to be like it exists. Bobby. Yeah. I mean, th- l- let me say this: these are all stories that involve like uh, an yeah. Asian man yeah. that surfs. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I guess a story more centered on that experience, right. whatever that is. Yeah. Is that why your Instagram is Hawaiian surf points? I'm trying. Yeah, maybe. I'm, just th- I'm thinking 12 steps ahead. Yeah. <laughs> when they re remake Point okay, Break. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I'll write that. I want to write. I'll, I'll write that. Right that. I think Bobby's ready. Yeah. There we go. Um, you do your research. Go to go to Hawaii or San Diego. Just look at my Instagram, man. Yeah. Oh, I already checked. I think I've liked everyone in the picture. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I, I think that that is the key for a lot of stories. Is those centered on people of color. I think that's mm-hmm. what the Black Panther moment is, what the Crazy Rich Age moment will be, is seeing a story centered on people of color that once you see it, you realize, I've never seen this like like this before mm-hmm. in the, for a studio film, mm-hmm. right? Totally. Yeah. Um, I would say my answer is I want to see more complicated plays movies tv shows that are about the diversity of asian pacific americans our south asian community our um, southeast asian community being able to see ourselves across the full spectrum of who we are and the full um kind of overall experience and coloration of who we are i feel like i mean we've had some conversations um in the cast in the rehearsal process about as mixed race people sometimes we're mixed white like our bodies are often um, held up as this like standard of like the better or the the best of both worlds mm-hmm. or like see how good mixing is. And I, as a as a mixed race person who often was told like, oh yeah, you know, you're a good mix. I'm like, <laughs> every mix is a good mix, right? And so I would love to see, I would love to see like dark Pacific Islander loving bodies that are created by and for Pacific Islanders. I would love to see. Um, 
South Asian bodies and like not just our stories from our home countries, but like Asian and Pacific American stories, South Asian American stories. Like what does it mean for us to be here? What does it mean for us to be queer? What does it mean for us to be straight but loving bodies of different shapes and sizes? What does it mean to have larger bodied people be attractive and loving and funny and not like the punchline, but actually the the main love interest and like the desired body and I would love to see more stories where we can laugh about our lives and not be laughed at. And I would love to see more stories where we are not just the utility character in service of some white savior or or who are also in this position where we have to exist in this kind of American white and black binary and to see ourselves alongside um, indigenous people to see ourselves in, alongside Latinx or Latinos um, to see ourselves alongside African-American community mm-hmm. in a way that's about loving blackness and not about being anti-black and not about appropriating blackness. And so mm-hmm. I have a lot of like yeah. things that I would love to see. And I realize that's why I do what I do. That's why I've been doing this work. And my last little love is just, you know, I've waited a long time to get a shot to direct a show at East West Players. And I've been We've been having these little teary moments where I'm like, this is the play I waited for because of all the things it's trying to do, because of all the things it is doing, because of all the things it hopes to do, Mm -hmm. and because of who I want to have come see this show so I can say, if this is my one shot to tell this kind of story, if this is my one chance, if I do really badly, which I'm kind of feeling not, it's going to go well, it's going well. But like, if this is my one shot, totally, right? But you know, it's also that like measure of self of like, in a in a in a town like LA where we're not always seeing ourselves and we had to fight to have an East West players. We had to fight to have an Artani theater. We mm-hmm. had to fight to have like a Lodestone Theater Company or a collaboration or an artist at play or you know, an Asian sisters workshop or whatever. Like we had to fight to give ourselves a chance to even get on stage. I wanna see us not have to fight anymore. I wanna see us like <laughs> have enough money to do it. I wanna see us bring in audiences i want to like invite little kids to be like you can be whatever you want you can create whatever you want you can sing and dance and tell stories and be weird and crazy and it's okay because that's who we are and that's and that's what we add to this amazing world and to this amazing country and yeah i just i i just want to see us be us on stage in all of our beautiful complicated iterations thriving totally (laughs) I'm going to change my answer to that. No. Well, well, I'm, I'm saying, Nathan, Nathan, I just gave you like 10 years worth of stuff to write. Yeah. So. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to get on it. It'll be the, the Nathan Ramos, Allison De La Cruz. Yes. Writer, writer, director, yes. writer, director combo. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, the play again is As We Babble On. It'll be playing at the East West Players throughout the month of June. Um, if you're in the LA area or if you want to take a trip to the LA area, please check it out. Mm It sounds amazing. I can't wait to see it. Uh, we've been talking to Bobby Foley, Allison De La Cruz and Nathan Ramos. Um, if people want to follow you guys and find out what you guys are, you know, follow your Instagrams or your, your tweets, Mm -hmm. uh, where can they go? Uh, I'm at Hawaiian surfboards as Nathan mentioned earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your Twitter handle too? Uh, I think my Twitter handle is just Foley Bobby or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Instagram's really Yeah, in- Instagram I use more. <laughs> uh, Instagram, I'm Picks, P-I-C-S, by Dela. And on Twitter, I'm Tweets, by Dela. 
Um, on Instagram, I'm at Nay3Ray. And um, on Twitter, which I, I don't really use, but it's Nathan3Ramos. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And for our listeners, um, as always, you can reach us at the Collabcast by emailing us at podcast at collaboration.org. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, special thanks to Travis the Trail for use of his song calling for you for this week's intro and outro music. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Collabcast. We'll be back next week and uh, we'll see you later. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. See, I'm calling for you, baby, I'm calling for you.